All right, and so uh, that's where we move to the introduction from fundamentalist to skeptic, where we where we kind of look at um, kind of who who Bart Ehrman is, why he's been successful, why do we know his name? Mm. Very uh, very important uh, kind of uh, to to know the person because uh, it uh, it kind of lines up well into knowing how he's approaching things and also questioning why are you approaching things like that. It seems like uh, we've listened to uh, presentations by uh, Tim McGrew. Uh, from Western Michigan University, where he, he actually critiques some of Bartman's stuff by uh, a, a appealing to uh, uh, earlier um, uh, editions mm. of Ehrman and books that they did together. And then when F.F. Bruce passed, Ehrman reissued some books where changes were made. It seems a little, little hinky. Yeah, Something a little yeah. hinky going on. <laughs> uh, but uh, we won't cover uh, probably that specific. But, uh, you know, th- these these claims have have, um, have been out there. And so we want to look at the success of Bart Ehrman. And we'll take a, a minute here to get uh, better acquainted uh, with Ehrman, the personal background and kind of his, his pilgrimage from, yeah. from this, uh, you know, yeah, fundamentalist to skeptic. That's right. Yeah. It seems, so, seems weird, but <laughs> it's been known to happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. So as far as biblical scholars go, Ehrman's a rock star, yeah, right? The, the, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, if you travel in the circles that, that we do, if, we, if we're reading something about a critique to a biblical transmission, translation, uh, contradictions, uh, Ehrman's name comes up a lot. A lot. Yeah. Um, and, and he's been popularized all, uh, all over. So he's a full-time professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's an adjunct professor at Duke University. And I think probably a lot of people, that's enough to turn him off because, you know, <laughs> Duke is bad. Uh, sports, sports ball, I don't get it, but... Uh, I, I heard a lot of people say that. <laughs> he has written numerous scholarly works and holds prestigious posts in academic societies. His scholarly credentials are impressive. It, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Nothing can be taken away from him there, and nor do we want to. Yet none of his profess, professional academic achievements have made Bart Ehrman the near-household name he has become. Yeah. Ehrman's website lists four books written in the last 10 years, which is impressive. Uh, probably not as impressive as, as Kustenberger does. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but his is different because, you know, they're... Uh yeah, I mean, Ehrman's has been all four, all four of these in the last ten years have made it to the New York Times top ten bestseller list. Yeah, so that is that's impressive, right? That's right. in other words, you know, here's the here's the issue: Why would somebody want to read a stuffy old book about scriptures and theology, mm-hmm. and then why is why has it made it to the New York Times? You know, who reads that kind of stuff? Well, usually scholars do, right, yeah. and academics and that sort of thing. But the very, you know, the, the everyday person, right. they want to read that stuff. Right. And that's how, how popularized he's made it. He's he's able to to kind of break it down to that level so that the New York Times can can, can recommend that to you. Oh, yeah. 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 And people want to read it, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, misquoting Jesus, that, that's a great title. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, he's whoever his publisher is, that that's a great, great title. Right. So he's traveled the world in, in debates and, and lectures. Uh, so he's popular for several factors, right? Uh, most importantly, he has the ability, and, you know, this is really, I think, is the most uh, helpful thing, mm-hmm. here, to explain difficult concepts to a lay audience, right? So the folks that that aren't the academicians, right, that don't know all of the, you know, the background yeah. and the P-52, history. P-52, once discovered. And, yeah, yeah. Okay. But he can explain in such a way that these folks understand what's going on. Right. And that is, um, is really helpful, mm-hmm. right? right? And so uh, Ehrman himself would claim that he's not really an innovator when it comes to theology and the views that it presents. In fact, he's kind of popularized. He's able to break it down, uh, you know, 
no one's really heard of er, uh, the, the the Bauer hypothesis in in the manner that he presents it. But mm-hmm. uh, you know that's 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 evident through and through in his uh, his presentations, and he doesn't claim to be. He 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 readily admits uh, this as well, which is uh, um, a humbling experience, especially for someone so well known. Yeah. Rather, he summarizes well what other scholars argue concerning the Bible and early Christianity. He's a master at packaging these arguments, presenting them well. And what you should be aware of is that in presenting these arguments, uh, Ehrman rarely acknowledges counterarguments to his own position. Oh, wow, yeah. uh, you know, the treatment of a given issue in Ehrman's writing is uh, far more one-sided than the real discussion taking place, uh, which if you're talking about a scholarly work, you're, you're probably more likely to do that. Here's a, a counterclaim. You're exactly. responding to the counterclaim. In fact, you're expected to do you, that. You, you, yeah, you want to because <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if you go through a peer review process, uh, you're, you're, you're going to come back to those questions. So yeah. head them off at the pass. Yeah. So yeah. this is the one thing that we hope to show, uh, the, the book hopes to show, is that there are counter arguments that if you're reading Misquoting Jesus, he's not saying, no, someone could say, et cetera, et cetera. And here's my response to that. Here's the response book to that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So two further reasons. So not only is he uh, able to communicate these various ideas and at a popular level so that lay folks understand it, but <clears throat> first, his success is in large part due to the fact that, you know, he, these skeptical biases have led to negative conclusions that are, you know, of great interest to other skeptics. Right. Mm-hmm. So here now, if you take the Bible, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the greatest story ever told, the most popular book in the world, right, the number one bestseller, and you come up with these various skeptical conclusions. Well, people want to know about that, mm-hmm. especially folks that really don't, that are skeptical themselves and don't want to believe, right? So Western culture obviously is becoming increasingly hostile to, you know, the exclusivity of truth, right, in terms of this is the truth and nothing else kind of thing, right? And so the sentiment is uh, often that, uh, you know, everyone can believe anything that they want as long as they aren't saying other people's belief are wrong. That's yeah. the basic idea that where we're at today. Right. And not Christianity either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, and so as a result, this skepticism, you know, is, is big. Yeah, it's, it's more prevalent in <clears throat> the society now yeah. than, than ever. So that's a, a good reason for why we want to see if there are answers out there. If we, if, if there's uh, apologetic arrows that we want to add to our quiver and uh, yeah, there is. Hey, what do you know? We're, we're only uh, uh, not even chapter one in this book. So, <laughs> Of course, Christianity not uh, only calls for complete devotion and asks that bel- uh, for belief in certain exclusive truths. Increasingly, the culture is intolerant towards yeah, these Yeah, so Christianity goes the opposite of what the culture right. is saying. The I culture is the saying, way, you know, the truth, and the way. Yeah, you, anything goes right as long as you don't step on somebody else's toes kind yeah. of thing, right? Christianity says, no, anything doesn't go, right? This is the mm-hmm. truth, period, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so... Wait a minute, right? There's an instant rebellion, right, as a result of our sin nature right. to somebody that says this, you know, takes a stand like yeah. that. Right? It's, it's Pilate asking, <laughs> what is truth? Yeah. And Jesus <laughs> going, I am the truth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the result is uh, mounting cynicism towards Christianity and eager acceptance of counterclaims that reject uh, historic Christianity. And, yeah. uh, you know, the... the Post 9 11, you know, world has has uh, drawn more rise to this, and um, uh, I, th- I think we've been a little bit flat foot uh, since uh, not since then, but we're we're picking up steam again. We I think we were a little bit more on the lazy side before then, and uh, you know, Josh McDowell can only can only write so many uh, <laughs> big tomes of, of evidences before, that before demands we, our verdict, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so embedded in uh, Ehrman's story then is uh, the story of uh, many former card-carrying fundamentalists turned Bible critics, 
is uh, the pervasive skepticism and academic intolerance against faith, and particularly Christian faith, uh, they experience as students at institutions of higher learning. Yeah, so oftentimes we get this, you know, this story of, you know, I was a Christian, I grew up in a Christian home, and I went off to school, yeah. and I got enlightened, and now I don't believe that stuff anymore, right. kind of thing. Right? And so Erd, Erd, Bart Erdman has pierced, uh, appeals to folks that have that kind of experience. Yeah, right? I, I think that, that, you know, the, the <clears throat> saying goes that, uh, Culture is downstream from politics, meaning that, you know, whatever's happening in, in culture first becomes popular. Well, I'm of the belief that, um, you know, uh, that uh, academics is, is downstream from culture and that what you see at, in academia with things like um, the the uh, rise of critical race theory and, and, and that type of, of philosophy was was popularized and pushed early in, in colleges and, and academic circles and is only now leaching into culture yeah, yeah. and now leaching into politics. Right, so it, right. it seems like the, the spread of, of, of that is not years anymore, but months. Right, right. It used to be where, you know, the academia would, would kind of rule out this this stuff. Yeah, try to. <laughs> For lack of a better word, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, and so all the students and that sort of thing would buy into it. And then eventually it would trickle into the culture and then really, uh, you know, uh, become part of our political, you know, view of things right, right? and uh, and that would take quite a while now you're suggesting that it's boom 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 it, boom. it's a lot it's yeah, <clears throat> the, the, because we live in an information age yeah and, absolutely and people, you know i mean you can get on the internet you can read and and so uh folks are immediately exposed to these various ideas yeah, right? yeah if we, <clears throat> we if we think about how, how just things have have coalesced more and more where information being shared and shorter burst and then more uh you know 2008 uh Twitter and Facebook weren't, you know, we're still in their infancy. I, I remember getting on Twitter the Baby first time Twitter. And, and getting and getting the the whale of, of death. That's what it had when it always timed out. And I was like, oh, who's going to ever use this site? The president, world leaders, ISIS terrorists, you know, the normal people now. So, so, so this, you know, this has resulted in then because the Bible makes, you know, claims that it is the truth, right? These exclusive claims it has resulted in this tolerance intolerance everybody wants to throw rocks at right. it because it's saying you know it's the only so this this problem with intolerance then is uh, that um the idea really is that all presuppositions are accepted in some sense by faith right that's what folks are, are suggesting well you only believe that by faith right right uh so atheists obviously work from the same uh, assumption that there's no god certainly this assumption too requires a certain amount of faith so mm -hmm. it's not just christians but it's also any academic discipline and any belief system, really the ultimate truths of that belief system have to be accepted by faith, right? And so according to Erdman, he simply puts aside his biases and faces the facts. So he would argue, well, no, I'm not dealing with a faith claim, right? I don't have any uh, biases. I'm on neutral ground and yeah. I can, you know, I can... And so let's put it, you Christians are biased because, you know, you're act, you're believing by faith. You believe it, so yeah, therefore yeah. you're biased. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so he says, he puts aside his biases right. and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. operate with regard so, to So he, he comes at it like a Mr. <clears throat> Spock or a robot or uh, Dan Carlin's uh, hardcore history, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he takes this like the Martian approach. Like yeah. he's a Martian, so he's kind of in the solar system, so he kind of knows what's going on, but he's, he's just trying to be... But as impassive as possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But lo and behold, guess what? Herman also makes assumptions oh, too. Oh, no, really? And it's really? almost like there's no neutrality. <laughs> ah, if only. <laughs> so, for example, he says, we don't have the words that God inherently inspired. 
Really? Right. All right. So how do we know that? Well, we'll take a look right. at that. Yeah. So he makes that this assertion. That is a huge uh, uh, assumption. Yeah. He right? talks about this in misquoting <laughs> Jesus. This is kind of the, the big conclusion, but it actually doesn't provide uh, evidence that demonstrates we don't have the original wording in our manuscripts. In fact, on numerous occasions and in numerous interviews, people are saying, well, what do you think the secret message was? Yeah. Well, it's yeah. pretty much what what we have it's just it's just we're not sure what what it was yeah. okay so so what we see then is that he's able to popularize these these uh concepts and and uh help the lay person you know understand what's going on and he's captured this um cynicism we might say in hmm. terms of uh yeah, criticism good. of you know the exclusivity of what the bible has to say and that uh, people hold to and so that attracts people as well right and um and you know he he uh, he makes the assumption that uh, the believers are just operating on the basis of faith right. and of course he's not doing that, putting the right? cart before the horse that's i am right. i'm not i am skeptical and that's yeah. that's how you can trust me <clears throat> and so his his biases uh this book uh, contends uh, has led unduly skeptical conclusions that he yeah. draws from right so that's what they're going to try to show with this particular book right, right? Uh, the second explanation of Erdman's appeal to a lay audience is tied to uh, a misunderstanding of what faith really is. <laughs> right. right. Faith is understood in different ways, obviously, in our culture. One popular concept of faith is that it has nothing to do with reason or logic. Right. After all, some might say faith is not something you can seek to provide evidence for. Right. Or view rationally, you simply have to uh, accept it. Right, that's what—that's the way faith works. It's yeah, right. just something you By have to feeding. accept, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, unfortunately, though, they uh, tell us here that um, too often people today do accept this idea of blind yeah. faith. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson has that quote of, uh, "That's why they call it faith. That's why they don't call it fact. If it was—if it wasn't faith, then it would be science. No, you would know it. So yeah. that's why religion is called faith. It's just a belief system. That's it. <laughs> okay. It's—it's it's the, it's the wrong. It's—it's it's this wrong." Uh, uh, non-biblical idea of what what faith is, and uh, unfortunately, Christian, Christian, some Christians, some Christianity, some versions of the church have kind of espoused this to to not answer difficult questions. Well, you know, just just believe it. You know that that type of type of deal. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so the the Bible, however, does not ask us for blind faith. It never does. Right. Not not never not once. In fact, <laughs> come let us reason together is a call by God to, to Job. Yeah. The, the, the person that he just, you know, he gives a bunch of evidence for. And instead it calls for a reasoned faith, the faith that looks at the evidence. Well, wait, hold on. I thought you guys were presuppositionalists. You guys don't deal with evidence. No, we deal with evidence within the confines of what our presuppositions allow yeah. and having and an fact, understanding. Everybody does that. Everybody. Yeah. Absolutely everybody. Yeah. And that's that's where we see the value of presuppositionalism is that it can make sense of how you make sense of evidence. Right. And so we love evidence. In fact, uh, Bonson and Frame have, have argued, I think, conclusively that uh, that the, the best or the best evidentialist is a presuppositionalist <laughs> because you start out with the base model and then you can build up from there into mm -hmm. uh, uh, presenting these evidence on a, a firm foundation and critique the other side for for a, a, a foundation system that won't allow for these types of evidence to come into fruition. And there's a lot there. But uh, we're, we're just talking about evidence here, This these types of evidence. And so uh, reason faith is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, where he mm -hmm. says that he, mm -hmm. Jesus died, he was buried, and when he was raised from the 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 dead and the, the grave and that uh you know if if uh jesus was never raised then our then our entire faith is in vain there you go so right. we're we're, so. we're 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 not only dead men we're we're the worst 
people. Yeah. It's yeah. the worst type of people. So it's either true or it's not. Yeah. Either Jesus rose or he didn't. Right. Right. And so, you know, we're st- either still dead in our sins or Jesus is the one that, that you know, came in and took those away if, if we uh, believe in him. So this event either happened or didn't happen. It's the foundation for which Christianity lays its hat. And uh, it's why so many uh, scholars kind of uh, look work towards that and, and, uh, and point to that classical apologist, uh, uh evidentialists, uh, tend to point to the resurrection as the, some of the best proof for Christianity mm-hmm. and they're not wrong. You right. know, it, it, a presupposition would, would, would agree. And so, um, you know, we, we champion that, uh, you know, by their, their, their work and it, it's helpful and it's great. But Paul doesn't ask for this blind faith. He claims there are there are people like uh, 500 people that have seen the risen Jesus that you can go out and talk to at the time of the writing of his letters. So there, and there's so your, it would be there, yeah. There's yeah. your there's your evidence, right? In fact, we have tes- the testimony of folks that are still alive and and are able to talk right. about it. Yeah. And you know the whole claim of like oh well you know they just got rich <laughs> off of it uh, you know to to fill the coffers. <laughs> that, yeah. That's not happening in first century anything. That's not happening in second century anything. That's not happening in third century, especially when Rome is tearing your throat out, burning your scripture. You know what? Why would you do that for for you know this this yeah, no really. nonsense? Yeah, uh, just yeah. you know it, it, from from because of faith. Yeah. Right? Why would you do that? Because, right. Especially if you knew it didn't really happen. Right. right? Yeah. It, it would be so easy for the Ro- the Romans just to go. No, it's Jesus' body. Pontius Pilate said he's right here. He's right here. Hmm, okay. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, Paul publicly announces that these witnesses are still alive, that you can go talk to them. You know, it would have been super easy. Like, oh, 500? Well, I didn't find uh, John and Bill. Okay, well, here's Luke, Mark, John, <laughs> yeah, Thaddeus. Uh, what, you know, come up with 498 other yeah, other names. And, yeah. and um, you know, Paul's point is that it would have been easy to, to falsify it then. And so when we, when we work in history then, it's a little bit more difficult and that we can't interview these 500 people. And so we have to rely on, on the scholarship to, to present this. So it would have been easy to prove Paul wrong. Uh, he had no fear of pointing to people to make evidentialist claims. And so right. he did it with an understanding of worldview and try to bring the Romans up to a, a, a kind of a conscientious understanding of their worldview at, at, uh, at Mars Hill. But he also, you know, present them the gospel truth that, uh, you know, that, that, that in their hearts that they, they have an understanding of a God who is there that they worship from afar, but you know, Christ has come so, so that you might believe. And some did believe while others mocked him because of the philosophy of, uh, uh, having an understanding that there's life after death, which was a weird thing, a, a physical life after death, yeah, which yeah. was a weird thing for the Romans. They didn't oh, like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Greeks didn't either. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. So in part, then, Erdman's uh, book seems to have drawn a large following because he's talking about things most people, you know, never really learn about in church. I mean, if you just take everything by faith and you don't have to study these things and fear it out. Yeah, why do anything in church? That's, that's, yeah. that's a weird thing to do. Just just do it. <laughs> yeah. That's a Nike version of <laughs> that's it. That's right. That's right. The, weird. The, the, the yeah. Nike version of church, right? Right. Erdman knows all too well that the average person in the pew has little to no knowledge of the historical and theological issues that he raises, right? right? Yeah. And so one of the things that this book wants to show us is that unfortunately all too often Erdman's rhetoric and his interpretations conceal more than they reveal. Right. right. He leaves the impression that his view is the standard fare of all biblical scholars. This right. is what scholars believe. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, you know, obviously among some circles, the science says, that's right. Yeah. Science says, right? the science so, or scientists. Yeah. 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 Sci- no yeah. science, right. <laughs> not scientists. Right. right? 
So obviously, uh, among some scholars, this is true. This is what some scholars yeah, believe, his position, that sort of thing. We would put Armin as a scholar. Yeah, but no doubt about it. plenty of scholars see things different than the way Erdman sees them, right? right? And so, uh, but, you know, so you have this kind of a, an assumption of authority that he gives when he's when he's making his right. presentations, right? Be- because the truth claims that he does present saying things like, Paul definitely wrote, Romans. Right. Okay. Well, I I know he he doesn't believe in it, so therefore he his he his his. So it's enough. He gives us enough weight. of that to, so that we can buy the rest of yeah. the stuff that right. he's selling. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> and so it, you know he he kind of trades on on that reputation. Yeah. Uh, but if if you come to believe in it, then then you're kicked out, right? <laughs> Uh, so, it, it, uh, whether written for a lay audience or not, a, a work of scholarship should set out to defend a position against the, the best of the opposing position. So, right. you can maybe give him credit for uh, th- things like, um, uh, you know, misquoting Jesus and not presenting it because you want to, you know, sell books or whatever it might be. Um, and you might not want to deal with all the critiques. You just want to present your positive case, and that's fine. People do that all the time. But to, to say that, uh, you know, th- th- there's no answers outside this book right. would be Or this is what all the scholars believe. Well, right. wait a minute. You know, if you're if you're talking about scholars, then you at least need to include some criticisms, yeah. critiques, and that sort of thing. Otherwise, you know, it's not really a scholarly writing. Right. Now, again, you know, he's writing for the lay audience, but still you want people to understand, you know, at least some of the arguments yeah. against your position so that— you, they can understand that you have good yeah. reasons to believe what you believe. Right? R- reading, r- reading anything by by Kruger, uh, you know the, the the question of the canon is is a great one. Um, his uh, 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 one that he wrote with uh, Kostenberger, the the heresy of orthodoxy. They're always always quick to admit when the other side has a really good point, and they talk about the positive access, uh, aspects to different approaches outside of theirs. And I respect that, and I, I get a lot from that. Because they're saying, hey, this isn't just, oh, they're the other side and they're wrong. They're, they're stupid. <laughs> no, no, they're, they're saying that th- there's value in looking at it through this, this way. And responding to the best arguments the other side has to offer gives you the, the best, you know, kind of bulletproof for their arguments. Yeah. That's what you want to do. That's what you would want to have done to yours. And you want to present it uh, accurately and uh, in the best light possible. You want to kind of iron man it instead of straw man it, you know. <laughs> So as uh, will become apparent in uh, subsequent chapters, Ehrman has a way of stereotyping scholarship depending on whether it agrees with its own views. He routinely, uh, routinely misrepresents, underrepresents, or never represents those who oppose his position. Mm-hmm. So as, as sometimes he'll say, well, uh, this person's a believer. You know, he's a Christian, and so <laughs> he falls outside the circle that I draw where, you know, you have to look at things through a secular-only skeptical viewpoint. And that's how you get the best version of truth because you're not clouding it with this bias of faith. So that's where, where he kind of draws his circles. So our problem with Ehrman's book is not that he's making historical arguments because that's what they expect him to do. Uh, while we think people should simply ignore the evidence and believe blindly, that's not what they want, of course. Yeah. Uh, we never want that. No one ever should want that. Our problem with his book is that we are convinced Ehrman's arguments are not the best ones, and he's done little to acknowledge scholarly alternatives to his position. Right, and so what they what they want to do then, since they have this problem, is to point out uh, the other side of the story. Mm-hmm. Right, they believe that Ehrman is just not has only given us one side of the story, right. and they want us to see that there is another side of the story. Mm-hmm. Right, and so. The other thing they do then is they make Erdman's book, the, his positions rather, a test case, right? So that, uh, you know, um, they're not trying to convince 
Erdman that he's wrong, right? right. right? Yeah. Or other scholars, skeptical scholars that they're right, yeah. right? Well, you know, they say that we trust um, Erdman, we trust knows most of the information that they set forth in these pages and have chosen uh, to follow his own line of reasoning due to a variety of factors. Instead, what they're trying to do uh, is, uh, you know, writing to those who have not encountered the arguments that are against what Erdman has to say, right? And who need better understanding of the other side of the argument. So that's what they're trying to present, the other side of the story. Right, right, right. So Urban is not alone in offering the, the kind of objections you'll see in, in uh, this book. He readily admits that, uh, for the most part, he has only popularized views that have been around in scholarly discussions for a long time. Um, as, as, you know, Some of his uh, dissertations are, are uh, completely kind of benign of this, uh, you know, of, of the rhetoric. He, he writes in scholarly fashion. He has the ability to do that, but he also has the ability to, to popularize this as, as proof by uh, the New York Times list and, and <laughs> yeah. just, you know, I'll, 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 you know, there are response books. I think if you have a response book written against you, uh, you know, that you're in good company among like uh, good critics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> in this way, our response to Ehrman serves as a kind of te- test case, as Tony's was saying, and engaging with skeptical scholarship in general in the page to follow in the pages to follow. Uh, you will not only see many of the problems attached to Ehrman's skeptical conclusions, but you'll also be in a better position to respond to the objections posed by critiques of the Bible in general and equip others to do the same. Right. So this will be, this will be a, an educational process where they're using Erdman's positions and his arguments to help us to understand in general, these types of positions and arguments so that we'll better able to respond to these when we see them right. in other places. Right. Yeah. And so if you've never been through uh, this type of, uh, you know, the, the Bible as history, the, the Bible in history, the transmission of the Bible, um, you know, give us some time. Uh, it, it, it might be kind of difficult at first to understand the nomenclature, use the glossary in the back of the book. Uh, you know, the Internet is a, is a great and dangerous place. <laughs> and so, um, you know, th- there, are, there are other people to recommend. Uh, there are uh, good debates that Ehrman has done. Uh, with people like uh, James White, who is a textual criticism scholar uh, on our side, and a presuppositionalist to boot, uh, Michael J. Kruger, we mentioned, Kostenberger has written with him as well. Um, the um, Kruger has uh, his his blog uh, that he responds to things from Ehrman about uh, from time to time too. Uh, there are a lot of good resources out there, and so we encourage you to kind of uh, keep the faith. Yeah. That's this right. book, yeah. <laughs> as we keep the faith That's with right. this book. So truth in a culture of doubt. So right. this will be an exciting time, and we hope that uh, you are able to get a lot out of this, yeah. out of this discussion. So uh, chapter one next time, we'll see how far we get into it, and we'll figure out where to go from there. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.